here's your host, Evan Shepard. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Race Rat Podcast. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the sort of headspace, the mindset that you need before you get started in investing and especially going into the year 2021. Um, first of all, I want to say if you're new to this podcast, welcome. On this podcast, we basically talk about how you can take the money that you're earning from your job or a business or maybe you inherited some money from a relative. I have no idea and it's not really my job to guess. But how do you can turn that into more money through investing that will allow you to create the social and financial freedom that I'm sure most of you desire by clicking on this podcast. So if that interests you, I highly encourage you to subscribe. I don't try to sell you some stupid course or anything like that. I'm purely here because I believe that one of the most fundamental things um, that can help this planet is helping others become financially educated because I really believe that the root of a lot of people's problems are the fact that um, you know they live in poverty or they don't know how to invest and they don't know how to get out of that sort of pain and that difficult life. So my goal on this podcast is to try to inspire other people and to help them create a better life for themselves through using investments as a vehicle to do so. Um, so I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast, if you rated it five stars and you left an awesome review about something you liked about it or shared it with somebody who you feel needs to hear it. Before we get into this episode, though, I have to give you guys a little bit of a personal life update. Um, a few days ago, I had some pain in um, my abdomen area and I ended up getting diagnosed with um, a small hernia. Um, I'm going to be seeing a doctor in the next few days uh, towards the end of the week um, to see if I need surgery on it. Um, and if I do, then I'm not sure there's going to be uh, a podcast episode like next week or maybe the week after. I have no idea yet, but I just wanted to let you guys know. Um, that way there's no um, confusion about what's going on. Um, but getting right into this episode, enough of the hernia stuff, we're here to talk about investing. Um I think it's really, really important, um, and this is something that I think allowed me to go from somebody who was an, uh, a good long-term investor but an unprofitable trader to profitable in both areas, okay? So my job isn't to tell you to be a long-term investor or to be a trader. Um, that's solely up to you, and it's solely up to any financial decision. It's solely up to you or a personal financial advisor Everything I have to say in this podcast is for entertainment and education purposes only. It's not financial advice. But I do have to say that um, whichever one you decide that you are, I would, in my opinion, I think a lot more people would be better off if they just stuck to investing long term. But I'm not going to stop somebody from trying to become uh, you know, somewhat of a trader because I do that myself. Um, I started 2020 with about 10% uh, of my net worth in a trading account. And uh, I did pretty pro I was did pretty well. I beat the market, and now it's about 25% of my net worth. So it's a pretty exciting experience, and I'm not going to tell anybody to stay away from that. But um, I will say it's going to be far easier to be a long-term investor. Um, as a trader, you're going to have to make some more judgments. You have to make them more frequently, 
and um, you know, chances are you're going to be wrong more frequently. Um, but the most important thing, whether you're a trader or whether you're an investor, in my opinion, there's two things that were very crucial for me to mentally understand before I got into the headspace of understanding what it takes to make some money out of it. Uh, number one is opportunity cost, and number two is knowing that it's about not losing money instead of making money. So I'm going to be explaining those a little bit now. Um, number one is going to be opportunity cost, okay? Um, for those of you that have taken a basic economics course in high school or college, you should know what opportunity cost is. If you don't know what it is, I'll explain it really quick. Opportunity cost is basically um, what happens when you decide to use your money um, for a purchase, okay? So example, uh, let's say Apple stock is $100, and let's say an iPhone is $100, okay? So let's say that you instead of taking $100 to buy one share of Apple stock, you buy an iPhone, okay? Um, and then a year later, Apple stock is worth $150, okay? So opportunity cost, since you purchased a liability like the iPhone that is not going to put money in your pocket or make you money, you have to calculate the cost of that liability plus the difference between investing in an asset. So by you purchasing $100 for an iPhone, instead of purchasing $100 in Apple stock, you now have zero and the Apple stock is worth $150. So the opportunity cost of buying a $100 iPhone would be $150 if Apple went to 100, from 100 to 150 in a year. Okay, that is opportunity cost. So why is that important when it comes to trading or investing? Well, this is going to be really important when it becomes when it comes down to personal finance and your ability to make smart purchasing decisions, okay? There are too many people out there that look at what they earn as an income as the ability for them to purchase the things that they want, but they only want to purchase those things really for two reasons. One, because they want uh, other people to uh, be impressed by them. And number two, because they think it's going to make them happy. So what happens? Uh, you know, a teenager graduates out of college. He's been driving a junk car. He gets a job in uh, software sales and it starts making $100,000 a year at 24. Thinks he's a big shot now. Goes out, buys, you know, a $50,000 uh, Dodge Charger. Okay. So what is the opportunity cost there? The opportunity cost is understanding that he took $50,000 plus whatever the loan interest is going to be, okay, um, instead of investing it. So he purchased a liability. He purchased something that's not going to make him money. And now you have to analyze what he, what he could have had had he uh, decided to invest that $50,000. Now, um, we're going to look on a time frame right here. I'm pulling up a website. I use this website all the time if you want to calculate opportunity costs. It's really great. Uh, you just go to investor.gov and they have a compound interest calculator. It's a fantastic website. Um, and it teaches, it basically tells you everything you need to know about uh, projections when it comes to how much you think you're going to have at retirement or at a certain age or the cost of a mortgage or whatever it might be. So let's say this kid spent 55000 okay, when we when we calculate interest. And he's like, yeah, I'm a hotshot. I got a Dodge Charger SRT now. Yeah, look at me. I'm going to get all these girls, whatever you want to call it. Okay. So he spends $55,000 uh, on that car. 
And um, so what we're going to do now is the average retirement age is going to be about 65, usually 60 to 70, okay? But we'll say 65 in this case. So you have to look at the cost of $55,000 from the time he's 24 to 65. That is the investment opportunity cost of buying a Dodge Charger at 24, okay? And this is a lot of, this is, when you listen to a lot of entrepreneur podcasts, um, I know Brad Lee talks about this a lot. He says the one thing he regrets about being young is wishing that he didn't try to show off so much. He wished he didn't spend his money on things that made him look cool or rich or whatever it might be. And he wished he had invested that back in his business because he said he would be worth tenfold what he is right now had he done that. So I just want to uh, add that to, um, to give an example of you know somebody and a lot of people who made some mistakes while they were younger um, and wish they had been smarter with their money when they were younger instead of being full of an ego and being selfish and wanting to look cool and getting caught up with the Joneses, whatever you want to call it. So now we're going to look at that cost of $55,000 over the course of 41 years because that's the difference from 24 to 65. Average market returns about 10% for the S&P 500. Um, so in 41 years, the opportunity cost of a $55,000 Dodge Charger is $2.74 million, right? That's a big number, okay? 55,000 to 2.7 million. So this is something that I always use to convince me out of talking, um, out of, to talk myself out of purchasing dumb things, right? I always ask myself, if I want to get this, what is the opportunity cost of this? And I'm not saying you can't indulge on yourself a little bit. I just bought a new Xbox, the new Xbox that came out. I just paid for it on Mercari, right? Like I, I bought, that's not an investment, right? But it's something that, you know, I don't mean that you can't treat yourself every once in a while, but I mean making decisions like that, right? At the end of the day, a car is a car. If you drive a $15,000 used Honda Accord or a $55,000 Dodge Charger SRT, one of them sounds cooler, but both of them get you to the same location, okay? So now you have to look at stuff like this and you go, okay, if I want to purchase a Dodge Charger that's going to be $55,000, this is going to be worth $2.74 million in 40 years. Now, people that don't care about investing, that are always complaining that they don't have any money, that are making a lot of excuses when it comes to that kind of stuff, um, you know, they're going to tell you, I don't want it. What's the point in getting rich when you're, when you're uh, older? I want it now, right? So what happens? Those are the people that are getting stimulus checks and putting it into Robinhood so that they could turn $600 into a million, right? So what happens? These people that say, oh, I, you know, I don't want to be wealthy that old. I want to be wealthy now. What do they do? They spend their entire lives adding $600 to the Robinhood account in hopes of hitting a home run, right? They want to go from $600 to $5,000. When they go to $5,000, they are like, okay, this is it. This is where I can really make a splash. I'm going to go from five to 100,000. They might get to 10, they might get to 20, and then it goes to zero, right? These people spend their entire lives trying to hit a home run, but they don't realize that had they taken the time to just build wealth slowly, they would have gotten it in a fraction of the time, even though they are arguing that they don't want to become wealthy later, but they spend their whole lives trying to get wealthy later, right? kind of ironic. So that is basically what opportunity cost is. Okay. So you have to understand the importance of contributing to retirement accounts. Um, 
and for for long term investing, and you have to understand the importance if you're trying to become a trader, contrib- contributing to your regular brokerage accounts on a regular basis. Okay, and you need to take you know there's different rules, but usually the rule of thumb is 10 to 20 percent of your income. Uh, depending on how much you make. Now, if you make more money, it's obviously going to be easier for you to contribute. It's going to be far easier for you to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, you are contributing a decent sum of money. Um, you know, this is going to be different for uh, a lot of people, depending on your age, depending on your income. Um, there are 50 percent of my audience is 18 to 34 so i would assume that you know you could be anywhere from working uh you know at a at a first job at a retail location to um finally getting settled in your career um but if you are on that younger side i i would recommend um i mean i can't recommend anything but i personally um would contribute about 200 bucks a month to retirement account um you do that you know because i'm 20 years old uh, if you were to, let's say you started at zero, okay, and you contributed 200 bucks a month for 45 years at the 10%, 200 bucks a month would get you to 1.7 million, okay? That sounds ridiculous, right? You're like, 200 bucks a month, like, that's the pair of shoes that I buy every month, or that's the Coachella ticket that I just spent for $1,000 for a three-day weekend kind of thing, right? So it's those little things that a lot of people say, oh, they don't have enough money for this, but they always have enough money to find an iPhone, or, uh, you know, a luxury product or something like that. Now, this is obviously going to be different. There are very tough times right now. There are a lot of people that are unemployed, and I feel a lot of empathy for those people. And those people need to focus on uh, making sure they survive because if they don't survive, then they can't invest, right? Um, but I am talking uh, majority to those people that are listening to this podcast who have some form of income or you have some sort of investment portfolio already, it's really important that you continuously contribute. The first thing you got to do as soon as you get that, um, you know, that direct deposit or whatever, you got to take the money that you plan to contribute and you got to take that first and you add that to your investment portfolio and then you fit the bills and the fun time and everything after you paid yourself. Um, So that's typically between 10 and 20% of your income. Um, so that's going to be really important for understanding opportunity cost. Um, but I think you guys get the just, gist of that now. Now we're going to start talking about drawdowns, okay? And this is really, really, really um, important, especially for those of you. Uh, this isn't going to be as, as important for long-term investors. Long-term investors, you probably have to prioritize um, the uh, c- contributions and opportunity cost more than um, more than focusing on drawdown. Um, because the reality is, is that if you're a long-term investor, you are going to see those gut-wrenching 40-50% drawdowns probably three, four, five times in your lifetime. Uh, I remember Charlie Munger did an interview where he said, um, Warren and I have watched our Berkshire shares drop from top tick to bottom shit, uh, excuse me, top tick to bottom tick uh, over three, 50% over three times in our lifetime. And he said, if you can't stomach that, then you're not built for investing. And he's true. You know, you hear all these people, I lost everything in 2008. Well, they lost everything because they were probably invested in AIG or Citigroup and they weren't diversified. Um, or they sold the, they panic sold the bottom because they thought everything was going to zero, right? Uh, you have to be able to stomach those things. And I, I mean, my first market crash was back in February. I, I watched my net worth tick down probably about 30%. Uh, I had actually bought uh, the XLE oil ETF back in, uh, back in February. 
and I watched it. I bought it at 54 thinking, okay, this is probably the bottom. And I watched, I watched it drop to 27. I watched that allocation. I literally purchased it a month ago. I watched it drop 50%. I said, holy crap. And I saw it shoot up to 40 something in June. I said, should I take a 20% loss? And I said, yep. Took it, sold it at like 43 and it dropped all the way back down to 27 again, uh, back in like August or September. Uh, which was awesome, by the way. I wouldn't have wanted to see that down 50% back then because I actually took some of the money from that and I made it back. Um, I think I made like 4%. I made up 4%. Like I, the gain, I lost 20%, but whatever I invested it in ended up netting me like 4%, which was really cool. But your job as a trader is to try to minimize that kind of drawdown, right? Your People go into markets, people go into trading because they're so focused on trying to make money, right? But people don't realize that the the biggest harm you can have to your wealth as somebody who's like trying to become a trader is not um, trying to, uh, you know, pick the next Tesla. It's actually the drawdown in your account. So let me give an example of this, right? Uh, let's say... Um, you buy a stock at $100 and it drops to 80, right? Okay, and you sell out at 80. Well, you just took a 20% loss, okay? What percentage gain do you need to make it back? Right? Most people will if okay, excuse me. You bought a stock at 100, it drops to 80 and you sell. Now, you're trying to figure out how much you need to make Let's say you want to buy back into the stock and you want it to go to 80 from 80 to 100. How much do you need to make back to break even? Well, 80 to 100, um, a 20, you take $20 or 20 points or whatever you want to call it, and you divide it into the 80. It's actually a 25% move, not 20 anymore. Do you see what I mean by that? So, your job as a trader is not to try to make take really high risk to make really big bucks. Because if you have losses like that, bigger losses, it's going to take, everybody knows the stock market is uh, stairs up, elevator down. What does that mean? It's usually a really slow grind up, but it can come down really fast. Okay. So you take one of those 20% losses, right? You need 25% just to break even, 25% gain. Which is going to take a substantial more amount of time than it took took to get a twenty percent loss. Okay, so this is by far the most important thing when it comes to trading. This is what I mean when I say managing risk, risk management. Okay, your job as a as a trader, usually traders. I'm not talking about necessarily. Um, you know, if you're invested in one or two stocks and you call yourself a trader, you're not a trader. Okay. Um, I would consider somebody who's a trader is either in futures or they have some sort of swing portfolio, five to 10 stocks that they plan to hold for a few months. Okay. Your job is to build a portfolio. Your job is not to go all in Tesla, all in Apple, whatever you want to call it. Because if you're wrong, then you're going to be wrong big. Your job is to diversify your risk. Okay. So, Example, let's say you had 10 grand, okay? I would probably put two grand in five different companies. Why? Well, let's say I put 10 grand in Tesla and Tesla dumps 5%. Well, now I'm out 5%, which is going to be 500 bucks, right? 
Now, let's say I put two grand in Tesla, I put two grand in Apple, I put two grand in Disney, I put two grand in Roku, and I put two grand in DraftKings, and Tesla dumps 5%. Well, then I just lost 5% on a fifth of my value, which means the drawdown is only 1% of my net account value. Now, let's say the other four companies um, go up 5%, okay? Well, four out of the five right? That's going to be a 4% gain. So you're going to actually going to net 3%. Does that make sense? You're going to net 3% because you diversified your risk into four other companies, even though one of your companies had a 5% drawdown. Your job as a trader is to manage that type of risk, manage that drawdown. Because if you can limit the downside, then you know, the stock market has historically only gone up, right? So if you can limit that downside, then you are going to substantially benefit on the upside. And your job as a trader is to limit downside. It's not to try to invest everything in the next Tesla. It's not to try to pick the next blockchain stock that's going to go to the moon because Bitcoin is going crazy. Your job is to limit the amount of risk that you're taking, right? Or take the risk that you are taking but make sure it has substantial more upside than downside, right? If you're going to buy NEO stock at 48, don't let 35 be the place where you decide to draw the line. If you're going to buy a NEO stock at 48 and it goes under 45, cut it, right? You want to cut your lo losers quickly and you want to let your winners run. You want to be like an assassin. Um, and I really believe that that's one of the most important things to becoming a successful trader is just understanding it's about limiting drawdown. Okay, it's not about making a lot of money because I promise you, if you limit drawdown and you can pick companies that are very well off, I don't mean trying to pick penny stocks that you've never heard of because somebody's trying to pump it on Twitter. I don't mean trying to pick the bottom of a cyclical stock. I mean, find a company that actually has a good business foundation and that's not going anywhere. My rule of thumb, I don't touch a company under $5 billion in market cap and I won't touch anything under $20 a share. Has to be above $20 a share, has to be above $5 billion market cap. I will not touch it otherwise. Why? Because that to me tells me that that company has not proven itself yet. And I'm totally okay missing the bottom or getting the lowest entry possible. There's a lot of clout chasing that tries to come from picking the bottom and picking the top of stocks, but oftentimes it really doesn't work. There's one skilled person who I can think can do that, and that's Paul Tudor Jones. Anybody else I think is being dumb. You don't have to pick the bottoms. You don't have to pick the tops. Some people have a gift to that, but for me, I like to pick the companies that are solid, the companies that aren't going anywhere, the companies where I don't have to wake up to find out that they're getting sued by the SEC or something like that. Uh, while I'm asleep. I pick the companies that have a solid base that have proven themselves as a legitimate and a growing financial instit financial institution or business. And from there, those tell me that those companies most likely have upside, not downside. Now they're going to have some downside occasionally, and it might be sideways for a sustained period of time. But I don't have to worry about downside with those companies. So I don't. So those are the companies I invest in right? Because I don't want to pick a company that's a penny stock and the bottom falls out of it. I don't want to try to, you know, chase Tesla, even though I think Tesla is going to be around for a while. You know, it's up a lot this year. You know, I'm not going to miss anything by, by seeing where it goes because there's always going to be opportunities. There's 40,000 stocks in the market. 
you know, I promise you, you are not going to, you're most likely not going to find the bottom of the next Tesla. You're most likely not going to get rich trading options, but you can build sustainable wealth by investing in the overall market or finding great companies that aren't going anywhere that have a limited downside risk. That is how you get there. And that is the plan that I plan to take. Now, I'm not anywhere near wealthy. I'm 20 years old. Um, you know, I have a good investment portfolio and I think it's really going to treat me well later in life, but I don't really care what it's at right now. My job right now is to ensure that I am managing that risk properly. Okay. And that's really the most important thing. I make sure that my risk is diversified. My long-term portfolio consists of, um, S and P 500 because I want exposure to the growth and to the standard of, uh, market risk. I have Disney. I just love Disney as a company. I have Rocket Mortgage because I think real estate isn't going anywhere. I own silver because the U.S. dollar um, I don't think is going to zero or going to be horrible, but I think we are doing a lot of printing, and that should catch up with the metals in a couple years. And I own, um, what's the last one that I own? Uh, Oh, Berkshire Hathaway B. Uh, I just think Buffett's a genius. Um, He gets huge dividend payouts. I think the company's undervalued. And um, I think it should bode very well for me later in life. Uh, the way I look at it, I think Burke B might be worth Burke A one day. So that's my kind of theory behind it. We'll see, right? But if uh, if we continue to print this much money, it's probably going to benefit me in the long run. Anyways, I hope this episode was interesting for you. If it was, like I mentioned, subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, leave an awesome review. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to another kick-ass episode of the Race Rat Podcast. Make sure to leave an awesome review and follow us on social media if you enjoyed. Now get off your phone because it's time to work.